0: In 1976, disco, pop, and soul ruled the music world. At the end of that year, the end of 76, former Fifth Dimension members Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. released a single entitled You Don't Have to Be a Star, Baby. The song soared to number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 as well as number one and the U.S. Billboard Hot Soul singles. The song actually eventually went gold, selling a million singles and winning a Grammy. The lyrics, in part, go like this. No, I'm not going to sing it. You can come as you are with just your heart and I'll take you in though you're rejected and hurt. To me, you're worth girl, what you have within, oh, honey boy, okay, it was the 70s, um, I don't need no superstar because I'll accept you as you are, you won't be denied because I'm satisfied with the love that you can inspire, you don't have to be a star baby to be in my show, oh, honey, you don't have to be a star baby to be in my show. Now, I'm always a little bit concerned to quote song lyrics because I know now I've lost some of you to 1976 and I'm not really sure that I ever actually get you back. Might be interested to know that uh, McCoo and Davis, uh, when they sang this song, uh, were married. They were a husband and wife duo, sang it to each other. And they are still married today, having been married for almost 45 years, and they attribute their success in marriage to, no, not this song, to Jesus Christ. They they actually came to faith in Christ after they released the song. Now, I share all of that with you because I believe there is some significant truth to be found here. You see, without trying to be sappy or corny, and some of you think it's too late, I believe that God would say to you, you don't have to be a star to be in my show to, be, to serve in my kingdom. And I believe that message is one that we need to hear today. I say that because we are so enamored with celebrity Christianity. And those celebrities come in many different shapes and, and sizes. For example, when an entertainment star, think actor from Hollywood or, or maybe music musician from somewhere, comes to faith in Christ, we, we kind of like that because somehow we think it validates um, our faith. And so rumors are quick to spread. Hey, Did you hear? Madonna became a Christian. (laughs) That that rumor actually did spread for a while. She didn't, at least as as much as I'm aware of it. She is a a follower of this Jewish mysticism called Kabbalah. No, she's not a Jew, but she's not the Madonna either. (laughs) Just to be clear. But there are others, and we like it who seem to profess genuine faith in Christ, like, here you go, Carrie Underwood, 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 I don't like country. Um, (laughs) Alice Cooper, I put up a nice picture of him, Kirk Cameron, Sylvester Stallone, and my personal favorite, Chuck Norris. It's kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. Google Chuck Norris. There are all kinds of them like that. It is kind of interesting. I Googled stars who are Christians, and if some famous Hollywood actor or, or, or some artist uses the word God or faith in a sentence, they are automatically labeled a Christian. <laughs> I'm not sure that some of those who made the list actually know Jesus. But we like it. We like it, for example, when political candidates of either party give a profession of Christian faith. They might even get our vote. I mean, how else would a peanut farmer become president of the United States? Of course, we don't don't always examine things too closely. Some who claim to be Christians don't know the gospel, but I guess they occasionally go to something called church and finish their speeches with God bless America. We like our celebrity Christians. Many of us, many of myself included, can can tell you which sports stars claim to be followers of Christ, like you know Aaron Rodgers or Andy Dalton. (laughs) Sorry, Aaron and Andy, Um, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees. Sorry, Drew, and of course my personal favorite, Tim Tebow. I know I just lost half the ladies here. Notice, by the way, that we only talk about them, though, if they're stars in their field. You know, if they're quarterbacks or star running backs or receivers. We're not quite as impressed with a Christian offensive lineman. We're messed up. Celebrity Christians. Uh, They somehow validate us. We even have our own celebrities, our own Christian leaders whose books we buy and we flock to hear, pastors of megachurches or authors of of, uh, of books that sell a lot, whatever that is, uh, of conference speakers, like you're really someone special. If your name is John Piper or Andy Stanley or Mark Driscoll or Beth Moore, and I I just pick their names out of a hat. And never mind if some of our Christian superstars aren't entirely biblical like, you know I'm going to say it, Joel Osteen, or, and this will irritate some of you, Joyce Meyer, not entirely biblical. I, I remember when I was in Bible college, we would have some big-name speaker come in for chapel. And after the, after the service, Um, Students would line up to get their autographs. (laughs) Yeah, they would actually ask them to sign their Bibles, you know, like they wrote it or something. It always kind of bugged me. I remember one big-name guy talked about this phenomenon in Christianity. It still happens today, by the way. He he asked the students uh, gathered there, I wonder how many of you who will come and stand in line to get my autograph, and they did, by the way, even after he said this, ask the, the custodian who, who will stay and clean up after we're done to sign your Bible because he's as necessary as I am. We understand that truth biblically. We, we remember, for example, Paul's word to the Corinthians. You see, they had several issues, and at least two of them had to do with this problem of celebrity Christianity. In chapter 1, they were dividing over these celebrity leaders. They were saying, I, I am of Apollos, I am of Peter, I am of Paul. And the others were saying, but yeah, but we're really spiritual. Uh, I am of Christ. And they actually got that right, but they were, they were proud of it. Paul chastises them for their silly, petty division over Christian celebrities. Do you understand Christian celebrities is an oxymoron? Aren't Christians by nature of the fact that they're Christians supposed to be humble? It's like that, I I read this just recently. Johnny got the humility merit badge, but then lost it because he wore it. I wonder what Paul would say to the American church today. Do you know how difficult it is to be a pastor today? You see, before TV and CDs and the internet, iPods, Christians were were pretty much stuck with whatever pastor they had down at the local church. But hey, now you can tune in to Andy or Chuck or Mark or Tim or John. You can even listen to them on the way to the church because that loser of the church doesn't have anything to say if you even choose to go to church, because you can just do church at home with uh, the TV. And the truth is, most of us can't compete with those guys as if it's a competition anyway. Well... Dividing over celebrity leaders. Uh, Then in chapters 12 to 14 of Corinthians, they were dividing over the issue of gifts. Same problem. They they weren't arguing whether or not there were spiritual gifts, but which ones were most important. Of course, in their estimation, the most important gifts were the showy gifts, the most miraculous gifts, the most visible gifts, the gifts that would make me somebody. I guess so that there would be a lineup of people after the service to sign their copy of 1 Corinthians. They all desired, we read, to have the gift of tongues. That way they could be seen and heard. And Paul told them not everybody has the same gift. Not everybody can have the gift of tongues. Kind of odd, given what many teach today. Paul corrected the Corinthians on their faulty understandings of this gift and and, and this celebrity Christianity. And he did so by giving that very famous analogy on the human body. You You remember that? It is true, he says, that some gifts are more honorable, more visible, more presentable. Some, true, are less so, less honorable, he means, less visible. But if the foot should say to the uh, hand, uh, since I'm not the hand, I'm I'm not part of the body, is that true? Silly. If the ear says, I, I am not the eye, is it any less part of the body? Of course not. If everyone were an eye, Get that image in your mind, one big rolling eyeball. Where would the sense of hearing be? If everyone were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul asks. His point is every member of the body plays a part, and every part is necessary for the proper functioning of the body of Christ. Yeah, some are more visible. But by that, are they more important? Is the one with the mouth more important than the one who pushes the broom? No. This is in part what we learned from our text today in our continuing and almost, keyword, almost completed study of the book of Colossians. You don't have to be a star, baby. To serve in the kingdom of Christ. You don't have to be a star to serve in this church. Everyone is gifted. Everyone is important. We arrived today at the final section of Paul's letter, his closing remarks, his greetings. And I actually intended to get through the rest of the book, the final 12 verses today. I knew that would be miraculous, 12 verses in one sermon. But come on. I mean, they're, they're just. They're just final greetings. We usually just speed through these final remarks when we're doing our Bible reading, don't even just kind of glance at them. They didn't mean anything, right, except for those first initial readers. It's just a list of unimportant names. Unimportant names. And so what could it possibly teach us? we could just skip over it. I I looked at the list. There are not any celebrities on the list anyway. Then I began the study. This closing of Paul's letter to the Colossians which became this closing which became part of our Bible. God's word, all of it to us. So let's Look at the text today, not 12 verses, (laughs) just 3. Colossians 4, verses 7 and following say this. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, They will inform you about the whole situation here. (laughs) And you say, yeah, okay, Scott. How are you going to preach an entire message on those verses? Well, I've already preached half of it. I don't even know who this Tychicus or this Onesimus dude, I don't know who they are. They're not really that important, are they? And that's exactly how some of you feel right now that's exactly how some of you feel every time the church gathers not really that important not a pastor i'm not the mouth can't teach can't even pray in public i'd stutter worse than scott does I, I'm not musical. Couldn't sing on the worship team. could not play an instrument. Not a Sunday school teacher. Not much of a public speaker at all. Not an elder or a deacon or a, or a deaconess. Those are elected positions, and before you can be elected to those positions, uh, someone's got to know you, and no, and nobody knows me. I, I'm just a nobody. I, I'm kind of a wallflower. I just slip in and fade into the background. And the truth is, even when I'm not here, no one really notices. And we perpetuate the, tr- the myth that some are more important than others, that some parts of the body are indispensable and some others, let's, let's just say we don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't really need you. Well, except your money. If you are here this morning and you feel less honorable, less visible, maybe like a Christian nobody, I want you to know that I'm glad you're here today. You say, you don't even know me. You don't know my name. You don't know my heart. You don't know my strengths. You don't know my weaknesses. You don't know my victories. You don't know my failures, even the ones from last week. You may be right. I, I, I don't. But there is one who does. And I want to say to you, he knows you. He made you. He loves you. And if you know him through Christ he has gifted you and you are incredibly important to him. And as our brother or sister in Christ, whether we do a good job of expressing it, you are incredibly important to us, to the proper functioning of this body that we call Alliance Bible Fellowship. And inasmuch much as we've made you feel unimportant, unnecessary, I'm sorry. While we tend toward the Corinthian era and get all enamored with celebrity Christians, big names, incredibly gifted people, God knows right where you are. He knows your name, and He's known it since before the foundation of the world. And He chose you to be adopted into His family. And listen to me, and your name will forever be remembered. I told you two names from the singing group, The Fifth Dimension. Two names. Can you name any others? There were five original members, McCoo and Davis. But who were the other three? Didn't think so. This, this group won a number of Grammys. Had a number of number one songs that actually did go gold. They had a number of TV appearances. They were really, really big. And yet you probably wouldn't stop Florence LaRue, Lamont, McLemore, or Ron Townsend on the street today to ask for their autographs. And they made up the original five members. And yet here in God's eternal word... We have names like Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus. (laughs) Not typical names in your name your baby books. There are names like Mark, as in John Mark, Jesus called Justice, and a bunch of others in this closing whose names made it into the eternal word of God. How? Because of their service, however mundane, however invisible for Him. We don't even know what most of them did. But God does. There's much to be learned from this closing in this letter. The entire 12 verses can be outlined as follows. I, again, intended to get through it. Paul's messengers... Verses 7 to 9, as far as we'll get today, Paul's co-workers, those who remained with him, his greetings to the church there in Colossae, kind of interesting, and then his signature. Through this closing, there is a list of some 11 names, again, most of whom we know little about. Think about that. We know little about them. Is it possible they would not be the ones on the platform today? Today? They would not be the ones with popular books. They would not be the conference speakers we would flock to hear. They would not be the uh, one with lines of people waiting for autographs. They would not be what we would call celebrities. And yet here their names are in God's eternal word for our study and listen for our encouragement. So whoever you are, However menial or invisible your ministry is, I want you to be encouraged today. We're simply going to look at the first two names today: Tychicus and Onesimus. So if you're pregnant, just for your consideration. First one appears listen, the first one appears to be a mailman. And the second one, a runaway slave. Let's start with Tychicus. His name appears five times in the New Testament. First in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, where we read, And he, that is Paul, was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Isn't that an exciting verse? This is at the end of of Paul's third missionary journey he's on his way back to Jerusalem to deliver that offering and these are the guys who are traveling with him when Paul gets to Jerusalem he will be a, a beat, he will be beaten arrested and end up in jail before a, an assassination plot is uncovered and he's transferred to Caesarea where he remains in prison for two full years he finally gets tired of that appeals his case to Caesar has to be transferred to Rome, where he is shipwrecked on the way, spends another two years uh, under house arrest. And this is how the book of Acts ends. It leaves us with Paul under house arrest. Now, it's while he is in prison in Rome that he writes these four prison epistles, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so let's put all of that together. Tychicus was with Paul on the trip to Jerusalem, and now, four years later, he's still with Paul. So certainly, one thing that we could say about him at this point is that he is extremely loyal to Paul, and I don't think it's stretching it to say that he was extremely loyal to Paul's message. That is the message of the gospel. So, while Paul was the star right alongside him, was a most necessary Tychicus. Next time we see him, his name at least is in Ephesians chapter 6, where we read almost word for word the same thing that we read in Colossians, but you also know about my circumstances, how I'm doing, uh, uh, but that you, so that you may know. Um, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister, will make everything known to you, yada, yada. Uh, we'll talk about that more in just a moment, but we see that. Paul is sending Tychicus to Ephesus, presumably, most scholars agree, carrying the letter to the Ephesian church. The third time he appears is in our text in Colossians chapter 4, where Paul is sending him to Colossae with this letter to the church there. Then a, uh, in verse 9, uh, he's tra- we find he's traveling with Onesimus, so he's likely carrying the letter to Philemon. Then a careful reading of verse 16 of Colossians 4, which we might get to next week, seems to indicate that Tychicus is carrying a letter to the church at Laodicea as well. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to know. Tychicus is a mailman. Before the U.S. Postal Service or the Roman Empire Postal Service, Paul used to carry this, I mean, uh, Tychicus used to carry Paul's letters which tells me that Paul really trusted Tychicus. And you say, wow. So, so Tychicus made it into the eternal record of the word of God because he delivered letters? I mean, that's, that's how I feel. Not very important, just a delivery man, just a gopher, just a menial, lowly servant. But will you think about this for me, with me for just a moment? You have Ephesians Colossians and Philemon in your Bibles because of the faithfulness of a man named Tychicus. Did did you like the book of Ephesians? Did you like the truth that you have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family? Did did you like it that that when you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God made you alive in Christ? Do you like it that you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, because you don't got any. It is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Do you like that? I won't review all of Ephesians, but it's one of my favorite books, and you have it. Thank you, Tychicus. Do Do you like Colossians? Do you like that very high, exalted Christology of chapter 1? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the first one from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Do you like that? I do. Thank God for Tychicus. If you've ever read Philemon, did did, did you like the fact that Christian slaves are no longer just slaves to Christian masters, but they are brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you like the fact, the fact, the fact that Christianity, in part because of Paul's letter to Philemon's brought about the downfall of slavery. Do you like that? Then thank God for a man named Tychicus who faithfully faithfully delivered the letter. He appears in Acts as Paul's traveling companion at the end of this third missionary journey. And, And because he stood faithfully by his side for years, for years, while Paul was in prison, we have these priceless letters in our Bibles. And nobody, you think? So we see Tychicus in Acts, we've seen him in Ephesians, we've seen him in Colossians. Again, he likely carried Philemon. The fourth and fifth times that we see his name are in Paul's later last letters called the pastoral epistles. At the end of Titus, Paul is once again dispatching this faithful servant to Titus so that Titus can come to him. Then at the very end of 2 Timothy, Paul sends Tychicus to Ephesus. Most feel that that Tychicus actually was from Ephesus. He's from Asia Minor. We know that. And and, and Ephesus plays an important part in this guy's life, probably came to faith in Christ during Paul's three-year ministry there. The important part is this. Second Timothy was the last letter Paul wrote. He's in his final imprisonment in Rome. It's different from the one from which he wrote the four prison epistles. He writes his last letter f- from prison in Rome, and he's going to then be executed. And here is Tychicus again at the end of Paul's life in prison in Rome, trusted friend and coworker. You see, when the going got tough, he was there. Trusted, faithful servant, such that Paul could then send him for some further responsibility in Ephesus. Five times his name is barely mentioned, and yet from those five times we learn much. Eloquent orator, (laughs) great musician, wonderful worship leader, brilliant teacher. Who knows? We do know that he was faithful, and 2,000 years later, we are the beneficiaries of his faithfulness. Who then knows, brothers and sisters, who then knows what eternal impact your menial, lowly, unnoticed, invisible service to him may have? Here in Colossians, we learn more about Tychicus than anywhere else. Paul gives him three significant titles. Move very quickly through these. First, he is our beloved brother. He's a follower of Christ. He is, of course, a brother. But but Paul says he is beloved. He is um, uh, our faithful servant. That's true, isn't it? We've just done a survey of his life. Paul sent him on mission after mission after mission, and he accomplished them. And he is, thirdly, our fellow bondservant in the Lord. Fellow bondservant, that's that, 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 actually that word slave, because remember our modern translation softened that just a bit. He's a f- faithful servant and a fellow slave. And that takes us back to chapter 3 where Paul says there is neither s- slave nor freeman. We're all one in Christ. What is significant about calling Tychicus a fellow slave is that he uses this term for only his closest associates, people like Timothy and Epaphras and and, and no name, nobody, invisible little guy Tychicus. Now, Paul says he's sending Tychicus to bring them information about Paul's affairs, to share more details about him than the letter divulges. Many also, in fact, most commentators also suggest that he would be the one who would read the letter to the church, now listen, and give commentary on it. That means that Paul trusted him to share what was going on in his own life and to give an, uh, that is to give an update about his circumstances in prison and to expound on the word of God. He goes further, I'm sending Tychicus so that he can encourage your hearts. Ephesians said, comfort your hearts. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, Tychicus will bring you up to speed on my circumstances. Uh, but, But while sharing this distressing news, he is going to encourage or comfort your hearts. Even though Tychicus had been with Paul and seen Paul's mistreatments and beatings at the hands of the Jew in Jerusalem, even though he likely heard of the plot to assassinate Paul, even though he likely had been with uh, Paul for a couple of years in Caesarea, even though he uh, very likely endured the shipwreck with Paul on the way to Rome as his ministry companion, even though he had spent two more years with Paul under house arrest in Rome, Paul could still count on Tychicus to encourage the church in Colossae. What does this tell us? This guy was not some down-in-the-mouth believer, some Eeyore. Nobody knows the trouble that Paul's seen. He was obviously a man of deep faith and trust in a sovereign God. That's Tychicus. Very quickly we get to verse 9. We see that Paul is also sending Onesimus with Tychicus to Colossae. Notice... I'm just going to make a couple of comments here. He gives similar titles to Onesimus that he gave to Tychicus. He is our faithful and beloved brother. Very interesting. He does not call him a slave because, in fact, that's what Onesimus was. He was a runaway slave that Paul is now sending back to his master. So Paul doesn't highlight the fact that he's a slave. He highlights that he is a faithful and beloved brother. Again, he's proving what he said. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man. And no doubt, catch this, don't miss this. No doubt, Onesimus' master, Philemon, was sitting right there in the church when this letter was being read. How can I say that? Because he calls Onesimus one of your own, one of your own number. Again, we're going to find uh, out in Philemon that Onesimus was this runaway slave that he uh, had likely stolen from Philemon. He'd run to Rome, no doubt to hide in the masses of people there. And God sovereignly orchestrated that he would run into Paul and come to faith in Jesus Christ. He ran away, get that, a runaway slave. Uh, an unbelieving slave now Paul is sending him back as a believing brother yes he's sending him back to an earthly master but he's already reminded the church and Philemon who's sitting right there he's already reminded him you're a slave too Philemon you have a master in heaven the same master that Onesimus now has he's a brother a beloved brother We'll talk about that when we get to the book of Philemon in a couple of weeks. But as we close, I want you to know that what we have here is two men, not celebrities by any modern measure. They would not likely make it to who's who in the American Christian church. We probably would not select them to serve on some mega church staff. We probably would not go listen to them at some c- Christian conference. We'd take a break for lunch. They, they wrote no books. They're they're barely mentioned in these books. And we certainly would not line up and ask for their autographs. One, a mailman. The other, a slave with names forever recorded in the Word of God. So, how has God gifted you? In what ways are you a beloved brother or sister, a faithful servant, a trusted fellow slave? Slave. Of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a star. Baby. To serve in the kingdom of Christ. So in what way. Are you making an eternal impact. For the cause of Christ. <laughs> no matter how mundane. No matter how invisible. No matter how menial. There is one who sees you. And he knows. Stand for prayer. Father, my prayer for your people gathered in this room today, especially those who slip in and slip out, whom nobody seems to know, is that you would encourage their hearts, that you know them, and that they are incredibly important to you. And would you impress upon us that every person here is incredibly important? Would you forgive us for engaging in celebrity Christianity? Would you help us to serve in ways that impact the cause of Christ forever? In Jesus' name, amen.